0: It's been said that pride is the mother of all sins, meaning that all sins flow from a prideful heart. And in Daniel chapter four, we're gonna watch Nebuchadnezzar get humbled by God, proving that God is sovereign over everything. And old Nebi is gonna learn a hard lesson about humility. And we're gonna be able to learn today if we also apply the lessons of the Bible today on Walk in Truth.
1: You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get to today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael.
0: We've met Nebuchadnezzar several times in the book of Daniel. We met him in chapter 1, in chapter 2, and chapter 3. And we're going to watch Nebuchadnezzar get humbled again in chapter 4. And you might be asking, after we study chapter 4, how many times does it take for a man to get it? That heaven rules. I don't know. How many times has it taken for you? How many things has God had to show you? How many miracles? How many little things and big things How many little fingerprints uh, have you seen on your life until finally you said, uncle, uncle, auntie, I submit, I surrender. And even after we've sung the song, maybe with some hesitation, I surrender all. Did you really? (laughs) Maybe the song should be changed. I surrender some. I surrender some. (laughs) Maybe that would be more honest. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in chapter 2, and none of his uh, wise guys could interpret it, but he made it a little bit more difficult. He wouldn't even tell them the dream. And he was going to kill all of them, and then Daniel was able to tell him the dream and the interpretation. And, And Nebuchadnezzar lauded the God of Israel, lauded the God of heaven. But Uh, Even though he was told in that dream, you are the head of gold and there's going to be this rock cut without hands that will smash the statue that you saw in the dream. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to fight the implications of the dream. So in the next chapter, he raises up this incredible, colossal golden image, 90 feet tall Sets it in the plain of Dura and demands worship. And the whole thing's made of gold. And maybe the message is, I know what that dream means, but I, so I'm gonna not only going to be the head of gold, I'm going to be the chest and arms. I'm going to be the belly and thighs. I'm going to be the feet and the legs. I'm going to be it all. And I don't want that rock to come and smash my kingdom. I want, I used, I people, you said, your prophet said I'm the king of kings. So I don't want this to end. And Nebuchadnezzar demanded that everybody fall down and worship that image, when the band began to play a mass of humanity, but three Hebrew servants of the Most High God refused to bow. We know how the story ends. If you were with us last Wednesday, they were thrown into the fire. The, the best of Nebuchadnezzar's army were, were perished in the intense heat. They fell into the fire, but there was a fourth walking in the midst of the fire, and to quote, "veggie tales, he's real shiny." Hey boss. hey, boss. Didn't we throw three guys in there? But there's a fourth. Well, Nebuchadnezzar again is in awe of God and seems to laud and even maybe worship the God of heaven. From chapter 3 to chapter 4, we don't know how much time has gone by. The Bible does not tell us here. There are some students of Scripture that believe that years have gone by. And Nebuchadnezzar once again has forgotten who God is or who. Who actually is God? Remember early on when we met Nebuchadnezzar, he had taken the the, uh, vessels of the temple and put them in the temple of his God, in essence saying, my God's stronger than your God. And God's been convincing him all along that that's not the case. God was the one that had given Israel into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And God is the one who puts rulers up and puts them down. And so we're about to see another humiliating experience for Nebuchadnezzar. But his eyes will be opened. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to live the verse that we learned on Sunday mornings in James 4, 6. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives what? He gives grace to the humble. If you want God to oppose you, remain prideful. And he will get himself in battle array and he will oppose you. I would say that's a losing proposition. If you want grace, if you want the wind at your back, if you want God to bless your life, then the formula is quite simple, but it can be difficult. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will exalt you at the proper time. Nebuchadnezzar had been exalted by God, but he tried to exalt himself above God. And you can't do that. And there was an angel who tried to do that. I will make myself like, and we're going to run into this phrase, Uh, this descriptor of God, like the Most High God, right? No, you won't, Satan. You will be thrown down. Anybody who tries to raise themselves up above God is in deep trouble. They are going to be opposed by God. And so Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn the hard way. This is the last that we will hear from Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. We will hear about Uh, a couple of different kings, Belshazzar and Darius in the coming chapters. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we're going to have the last word from him at the end of chapter 4. And he's going to learn the hard way. During the Great Awakening, when the Spirit of God revived much of our nation's early faith, Jonathan Edwards was presiding over a massive prayer meeting. 800 men prayed with him. Into that meeting, uh, a woman sent a message asking the men to pray for her husband. The note described a man who had become unloving, prideful, and difficult. Edwards read the message in private and then thinking that perhaps the man described was present made a bold request. Edwards read the note to the 800 men. Then he asked if the man who had been described in the note would raise his hand so that the whole assembly could pray for him. 300 men raised their hands. They, Those 300 men and probably maybe several hundred more could have said that night at that prayer meeting, that note was about me. I've become unloving. I've become difficult. I've become prideful. God has a way of dealing with pride. He has a way of bringing us to our knees. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. Pride in its fullness attempts to elevate self above everything. Get this including God. If you want a definition of what pride really is, pride is an elevation of self even above God. And it can be sneaky how we execute that pride because we can use little loopholes or we can say, oh, that scripture doesn't really apply to me or "I, I see that one differently. In my case, You ever said that before? And I think I'm the special one. I think there's special circumstances. I think there's some fine print for me, not for other people, right? And maybe Nebuchadnezzar felt that he was in that position. So here's what Lewis goes on to say in Mere Christianity. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison. You do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something above you. Close quote. And so I've been sharing with you in the Hebrew picture language, the idea of humility means to get low so you can look up at others, and especially at God, so that you can become a servant, so that you can see yourself in the proper way. So you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And it can be, pride can be a very sneaky thing. Sometimes just when we think, you know, it's not a problem for us, it can become a problem. The psalmist writes these words in Psalm 97. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It says in verse 7, same chapter, let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad. The daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou art the Lord most high over all the earth. Thou art exalted above all gods. And it ends Psalm 97 with Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones. Give thanks to his holy name. So, what we're going to have in chapter 4 of Daniel is an autobiographical record from the king of Babylon about something that happened to him and how he experienced God in his life. Each of you has a story about how the Most High God has showed you his glory. Maybe he's had to bring you low, maybe multiple times to get you to look up. Somebody once said that when you're on a sick bed, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, because when you're on your back, there's only one way to look, and that's up. And so often God will use moments like that where we're trying to control everything, where we're, we're trying to fight God, and he will say, stop. Just let me have my way. We fight this. 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lustful, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. It goes on to say, and the world is passing away, and also its lust. These are the things that the world feeds. The lust of our eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, the world system feeds those things. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar's record. His transparency is remarkable. His honesty in this record is incredible. It's very telling. When someone has been humbled by God, they all of a sudden become more transparent, less guarded, more willing to say, hey, let me tell you who I really am. There was a time that I was doing this or that.
1: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what do you know about the occult?
2: In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated, and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holiday's trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH.
1: Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth.
0: It's very telling. When someone has been humbled by God, they all of a sudden become more transparent, less guarded, more willing to say, hey, let me tell you who I really am. There was a time that I was doing this or that. There was a season in my life and this or that happened. And they're not afraid to tell you how God humbled them. It, it, it's kind of a sign when you're making some progress, when you become a little bit transparent or maybe a lot transparent about your own foibles and weaknesses. In fact, there's a certain freedom to it. Do you know why? Because if you can learn to laugh at yourself a little bit and learn to admit that you're human and you make mistakes and you're imperfect, all of a sudden you don't have to try to fool people anymore. Have you been trying to fool people about who you are? I'm strong. I can do it. I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. <laughs> Rip up in your shirt. I'm super Christian. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel four verse one, the king to all the peoples. Now remember how much influence this world empire has at this time. This is the world empire. Ruling, it's the United States of the day, but maybe even more significant and dominant. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all the peoples, nations, men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. This is a unique moment in scripture where we get an autobiographical record, as I mentioned. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done or performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. What does Nebuchadnezzar sound like there? He sounds like a Christian, doesn't he? He sounds like a worshiper of the Most High God. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house. I was flourishing in my palace. If you have a NIV, it says I was contented and prosperous. Let me park for a second. Sometimes we get the notion that when we meet an unbeliever, they must be miserable. So you go out and you try to witness to a co-worker or a friend who doesn't know the Lord. And you say something like this. Aren't you just miserable without the Lord? And they say something like this. No, I'm having a good time. And you're like, what? Do you have a drug problem? Nope. (laughs) Do you have a problem with pornography? Nope. I'm married I have 2.5 children, a dog named Spot, a good career. I'm a solid citizen. Maybe they don't need the Lord after all. You see, sometimes we think that sinners are just miserable. No, some people, many people are content in their sin. They're content sometimes just living on their own until, of course, something happens. I saw a dream. I was Contented, prosperous, and I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. These fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. If you have an NIV, it says, the thoughts on my bed and visions of my head troubled me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon. Now you would have thought that he would have just sent directly for Daniel. (laughs) Hadn't he learned by now that these guys are not very good at their job? that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Sounds familiar, but this is, this time he's going to tell the dream, and it's a different dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, verse 7, the Chaldeans, the diviners, came in. I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Now, when you hear the dream, you're going to kind of wonder, did these guys take dream interpretation 101 or not? The dream does not seem terribly complicated, but maybe they were kind of afraid to tell him what the dream could mean or what they thought it meant. So finally, he says, but finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name, given to him according to the name of my God. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? If you have a New King James, it says, the spirit of the holy God And there is a debate whether it should be spirit of the holy gods as in maybe a pagan's point of view or the spirit of the holy God. There's a text note in the MacArthur Study Bible where he's convinced that the New King James has it right and it's the spirit of the holy God. Because why would Nebuchadnezzar say the spirit of the holy gods? Because that's not how they necessarily looked at their gods and There's an argument to be made there. Whichever is correct, it's still coming from a pagan king. He just knew this. He knew Daniel had insight. He knew there was something supernatural in him. And so he related the dream to Daniel. He said, oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because remember, Daniel had been raised up because of his abilities by God. Since I know that the spirit of the holy gods or the spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery baffles you, Tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. There's Nebuchadnezzar sharing with Daniel. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great or enormous. It was tall and proud. The tree, 11, grew large and became strong. Its height reached the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant. Now, this is his dream. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. And all living creatures fed themselves from it. Now, this is an incredible tree. It's tall, majestic, abundant, fruitful, supplying the needs of so many. In Scripture, take note of this, students of Scripture. A tree can represent a man. He will be, Psalm 1, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It can represent a nation. You can note Ezekiel chapter 31, verses 3 through 14. And a tree in Romans 11, Paul uses the olive tree to represent Israel. And then Gentiles grafted into the olive tree. In this passage, the tree is Nebuchadnezzar. I was looking in the visions, 13, in my mind as I lay on my bed and behold an angelic watcher, a holy one, an angel, if you will, descended from heaven and he shouted out and he spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip it, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Now the dream sounded good until the angelic watcher made this proclamation. Cut it down. Now, if Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, I'm the tree, it sounded good when you're producing fruit and little animals or birds are chirping and you're supplying the needs and you're tall and proud. But when you hear, chop it down, that's not a good sign. So if you're Nebuchadnezzar, it's something like this. I just like to make sure I'm not the tree. I'm not the tree, am I? (laughs) Tell me I'm not the tree. Tell me what I want to hear. He was unnerved by another dream. Just like the dream when the rock came and smashed the statue and he was appalled and unnerved by it, this one has done the same. Yet, the angelic messenger, remember in Scripture, angels are reapers in Matthew 13, 13, 39 and 40. They execute God's wrath all throughout the book of Revelation. So the angel shouts, Chop it down. Yet 15 says, Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him, now notice it goes from the tree to a person, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. The tree is going to be chopped down, branches cut, it's going to be stripped. And now the tree becomes a hymn. And whenever someone is tall and proud and maybe everything's going right and something goes amiss, something maybe bad happens, we almost feel like we got chopped down. We feel like we've lost a lot of things. That may be you tonight. Maybe maybe things were going well at work. Maybe financially you were doing well. Maybe you were healthy. And all of a sudden, just something happened. Something turned, something shifted, and you feel like, man, you've been cut off at the knees. You've been chopped down, and you're no longer supplying others the way you used to. Or maybe your health's not what it once was. Or maybe spiritually, you're just feeling like you're not producing any fruit whatsoever. But it gets worse. It says in 16, and by the way, in 15, the band around the, the uh, stump is a guarantee that God will protect protect what remains intact and preserve the king's rule. We'll see that in verse 26. And oftentimes when God does something in our life, even if it's a heavy cutting job, it's not to destroy us. It's to bring us back into something more beautiful and more productive. But the pruning process can be painful. And sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would I cut back good fruit that's producing? Because it's going to produce more fruit. We can see that in John 15. It says, let his mind be changed, 16, from that of a man. Let a beast's mind be given to him. This was the inspiration for the story, Beauty and the Beast. I'm just kidding. It wasn't. At least I don't know that it was. And let seven periods of time pass over him. Most believe that's seven years. Seven is the number of what? Completion or perfection. So it was going to take potentially seven years of insanity for Nebuchadnezzar to come to his senses. Sometimes everything has to be stripped away so we can see who God is and that we're not God. And you might say, well, why would God do such a thing to a person? To open their eyes to who God is, because He has an eternal perspective, unlike us, who just think in temporary things. We don't think about eternity, but people are going into eternity at a very rapid rate. Just to remind you, about one and a half to two people die every second. Just ponder that for a second. Eternity is pretty important, right? Eternity is too long to be wrong about your soul. Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.